Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's been several months since we got together as a community and compiled a UPR book list. Public radio listeners are famous as avid readers. We want to know what you're reading, what's on your nightstand or on your device right now. Fellow listeners may not know about it and may love it. We're going to put our collective list that we compiled today on our website, upr.org. We have with us in studio avid reader and UPR friend Elaine Thatcher back with us in studio. Welcome back. Thanks. It's nice to be here. I assume you've been doing a lot of reading. I have. Uh, as always. Okay. <laughs> yes. So we'll hear your list, or at least part of your list. Sometimes we don't get get through all of your lists because you do so much reading. Um, we're going to be talking with several booksellers as well. They're going to tell us what's coming out this fall that they're excited about. We'll be talking with Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab, and Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, here's how you can join us. We want to know what you're reading. Uh, you can join us by email to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. You can uh, join us on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio, and call us, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. The email is upraccess at uh, gmail.com. Well, Lynn, let's jump in. What, what are the first couple of books on your list? Okay, so, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I have been... Uh, I was starting this series bef- at our last book show. Um, it's a series of books called The Raj Quartet by Paul Scott. It's about the uh, waning days of the Raj, the British Raj in India. And um, if you've seen the the PBS television show, uh, The Jewel in the Crown, that is based on these four books. Um, they're long, and I'm on the third book, <laughs> so okay. I'm on the Towers of Silence, and it's interesting because uh, uh, I thought perhaps the TV show only addressed, you know, like a, a quarter of what was in these four books, but really the TV series, it's a miniseries, uh, it, it, each of these books addresses almost the same issue from and the same events from different perspectives, and it's a really, I, I'm really enjoying it. Hmm. Interesting. That that does sound good. Yeah. It, so if you got a little bit of time, there yeah. four long books, but four long you, books, you can yep. dive in. Those are sometimes good. <laughs> well, I I always like to say I I am a novel reader. I I don't care for short stories because I like the novel form because I can just bury myself in it and mm-hmm. be there for a while. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really a fiction reader. So, and I also uh, this time I read Isabel Allende's Daughter of Fortune. Oh. Um, and it's my first book of hers that mm-hmm. I've read. And um, there were things I really, really liked about it. It's uh, set in Argentina and California and um, the – or Chile and California, sorry. And uh, the the main character isn't as interesting to me as some of the peripheral characters that she develops really well and are – you know, the, the main character is a young girl who does pretty much what young girls do, you know, just mm-hmm. falls in love and follows her lover, you know, and – but the other characters I find very interesting, and she provides a lot of backstory for some of these characters. So you see um, in context why this Chinese character is in uh, in California, mm-hmm. you know. So I enjoyed that. Uh, those sound great. So uh, yeah. t- tell us again the two titles. Okay, so the, the first series that I've been reading is uh, the Raj Quartet, The Jewel in the Crown, um, the Day of the Scorpion and the Towers of Silence is the one I'm on now. And then uh, Daughter of Fortune by Isabel Allende is one that I've just read recently. Oh, that's, those sound great. 
Uh, let me give you a couple from my list. Uh, I listened to a story on NPR. This is a classic, uh, the way this happens for NPR listeners. There's a new uh, musical about Alexander Hamilton out. It's a hip-hop musical. Oh, wow. They played the opening song, and I I found it very catchy. I'd, you know, if I were in New York I'd, I'd and could get tickets, apparently it's a hot item and you, you can't get tickets, <laughs> I would definitely go to this. Um, Alexander Hamilton, of course, is sort of famously known as the, uh, you know, the the sour, the the doer, founding <laughs> yeah. father. Yeah. The uh, you know the. <laughs> and didn't he? The, did he get into? He got into a duel, he, right? That's yes. how he died. That's how he died with Alec, with yeah. Aaron Burr. Um, and so Thomas Jefferson is known as sort of the poet of the revolution. Uh, you know the the expansive uh, vision. And Alexander Hamilton ended up. His vision is what we're living today: urban, uh-huh. the economic system. Um, and uh, you know the banking system, every, everything, the foundation right, for what him, happened today is set up by Alexander Hamilton. Because yeah, Jefferson was more of a he was the rural yeoman farmer, right? Yeah. Uh, so um, this musical is based on a, uh, a big biography. It's about a thousand pages by Ron Chernow. It's called Alexander Hamilton, and I'm about on page four hundred and uh, just enjoying it. Um, and what's it called again? Alexander Hamilton by oh. Ron, oh, Ron okay. Chernow. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, a illegitimate son of, a, of an Englishman uh, born in the West Indies, and a classic immigrant story, came to settled in New York, and and uh, just a, a burning ambition and and you know talent talent to burn as well, and um, had a great effect on on the country. I think yeah. m- misunderstood. So I'm I'm glad he's mm-hmm. getting his due. That's interesting. So I've I've just been very much enjoying enjoying that. Um, I've also been I just finished. A brief biography of Martin Luther. It's called Martin Luther: A Life by James Nestingen, and uh, so Martin Luther is one of those icons that uh, you know we don't know, or sometimes if you don't go and read a biography, you don't know um, all that much about. Of course, he uh, he famously re- set out to reform mm-hmm. the, uh, the the Catholic Church. Uh, Pounded his what are the nineteen uh, uh, resolution? I don't remember yeah, what they were. Whatever they were, yeah. <laughs> I should know. I've just been reading the book. Um, but uh, he's a very earthy fellow. He could, he was a great propagandist and a great pamphleteer. That's basically the the medium of the times. The printing press had just uh, become popular, and and so his words could go out far and wide. And uh, when he attacked his enemies, he attacked his enemies. He was gave as good as he got. Very interesting fellow. <laughs> And his wife was a very interesting person, a former nun, and he, oh. he ended up marrying this uh, this woman named Catherine. Had several children. And, and I know nothing about her. Yeah, she was she was a very interesting uh, person. So, uh, Martin Luther Life by James Nestingen. Uh, you're welcome to join the conversation. Hope that you will. We uh, would love to know what you're reading. We get together every once in a while, uh, compile a UPR book list, and help each other out. Uh, and you know, people like Elaine maybe don't need a. Extra things, but but you you probably have heard things on a program like like uh, I have. today's and I have. and have added that to your list. Uh, so the number is one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. We'd love to know what you are reading. If you get in early, you uh, get more time to uh, to get out your books. Uh, at the end, it kind of piles up. Or upraxis gmail dot com is the email. Uh, we did get a couple of emails uh, in the seven o'clock hour. 
<laughs> so uh, Carrie was mentioning that, and, and we got these emails. So this is from uh, Carl Berger, our friend in uh, St. George area. He says, Morning, Tom. Carrie mentioned you'd be doing a session on reads and then played a promo featuring uh, you asking for our input. This uh, during my morning walk here in Sun River. Sounds like he uh, has a yeah. has a tough <laughs> life. Uh, I love new authors, he says. Sometimes rough, often uneven, but always the possibility of a gem. I guess that's always the adventure. And he says, found one. I just started The Ghosts of Belfast by Stuart Neville. Wow, talk about an Irish author tackling crime writing with a real thriller. Uh, and what more could uh, get us ready for a great fall reading se- season but ghosts, in this case 12. That sounds interesting. And so he uh, gives us the Publishers Weekly review with this stunning debut, quoting from Publishers Weekly, with a stunning debut, Neville joins a select group of Irish writers, including Ken Bruin, Declan Hughes, and Adrian McKinty, who have reinvigorated the noir tradition with a Celtic edge. Hmm. Uh, Jerry Fagan, uh, a former IRA hitman haunted by the ghosts of the 12 people he killed, realizes the only way these specters will give him rest is to systematically assassinate the man who gave him his orders. So there's the beginning of it. That's, that sounds uh, very interesting. And then Carl uh, uh, ends his email with a picture of Moon and Venus and streetlights looking east on Sun River Parkway at 6.12 a.m. And so we'll put that up on our site as well for your benefit. Uh, Elena, I'll pull this up on the email here. Oh, that's so lovely. A yes, very lovely picture. Lovely. So thank you, Carl. Appreciate that. <clears throat> and then, then we got this from Brandy. Brandy says, this is what I'm writing again. I need to add to it since things have changed since I wrote it. So this is the book she wrote, uh, and I need to update. I don't read it all the time because it's very hard for me, but sometimes I need to be reminded how hard I've worked to get where I am with my daughter. And this is the title of the book, A Mother's Tears, and the author is Brandy Astle. A Mother's Tears by Brandy Mm. Astle, and we'll give the link here she does to Amazon.com. Uh, it's a story, a true story, about abuse, drugs, control, and violence. And I just wanted to uh, put this uh, a five-star review from Charles. He says, a truly inspiring story of mother of a mother's love, selflessness, and devotion to her child against the backdrop of abuse, insecurity, drug use, and violence. Tears will fall from your eyes as you read this. It's definitely a worthwhile read. So that's A Mother's Tears by Brandy Astle. Uh, let's go to... Uh, our first bookseller, who is, in this case, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Andy, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so uh, what's first on your list? You know, I have an extensive list. been doing a lot of reading, and there are a lot of uh, very exciting new titles. But the lead title I will start with is one that I'm a little bit behind uh, a lot of people. It's been on the bestseller list for about four months. That is Helen McDonald's H is for Hawk. I'm not a big uh, memoir fan, but I I do read memoirs maybe once or twice a year, especially when the writing is compelling. I remember picking up Jim Harrison's memoir a number of years ago, thinking I don't really care about Harrison's gluttony, but the writing was so beautiful, it was very compelling. Same thing with H is for Hawk. Helen McDonald's a young a British woman whose uh, father had just suddenly passed away and set her adrift. And what brought her back was her lifelong interest in falconry. And in this case, she decides on a whim to uh, fly a goshawk. And of all the hawks and falcons that you can fly, the goss is 
the most difficult, the most temperamental of birds. And so the memoir leads you through her experience with flying her bird, but she uses a very neat literary uh, technique of comparing it to T.H. White's book on the Gossok. T.H. White, better known for his Arthurian uh, novels, The Once and Future King. And he also flew a Gossok and wrote a book simply titled Gossok. And White was a deeply troubled person, and it's a very interesting parallel between what Helen is going through in her grief and the life that T.H. White led. It's published by Grove Press, H's for Hawk by Helen McDonald. Mm. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. Okay, great. What What's next? I have a couple of picks that seemingly would not fit into the typical back of beyond books regional uh, interest, but I, again, find them very compelling. First one is River Runs Again by Mira Subramanian. A little bit of backstory on this. About eight years ago, my wife and I uh, were in New York City for Book Expo America. We decided to play hooky for an afternoon and walked uh, lower Manhattan and started walking over the Brooklyn Bridge. And amidst that cacophony of sounds and noises and people on rollerblades and bikes and runners, here's a woman with binoculars watching birds on the Brooklyn Bridge. Hmm. And being a birder myself, of course, I had to stop and see what she was watching, and she was watching a kestrel dive-bombing one of the resident peregrine falcons of New York City. That led to a conversation with this young uh, woman, who turns out to be Mira Subramanian, who eight years later has published a book called River Runs Again. So it's a neat connection for me all these many years later. But Mira is Indian descent, and she's writing on the environmental crisis uh, in her native country. And if we think we have environmental problems, uh, it pales in comparison to what's going on in both India and to some extent China in terms of uh, growing economies. But she takes five small vignettes of natives who are doing some micro-enterprise work with the environment, and she does it in a very John McPhee-like style. Mm. And again, it's a very compelling first-person narrative that just sucks you into a topic that perhaps I would have never thought about. But the connection to the author and uh, the environmental history just drew me in, and it's, it's a wonderful, heartfelt, and in times very difficult read. A River Runs Again by Mira Subramanian, published by Public Affairs. Oh, that's, uh, that sounds oh, great. that sounds really interesting. Yeah. You know, when I was a child, we lived in Pakistan, and uh, our school went to Naushera, which was an industrial town, and we visited a DDT plant. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And a paper yeah. plant. So that, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of stuff left over from those industries over there, and maybe still. Not, all, not only left over, yeah. but, yeah, still yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. The level of, of pollutants is so extreme that we couldn't even fathom uh, what the large cities in India are facing in terms of trying to clean up the environment. And, and what The it, next title is another uh, non-regional title. And in uh, 
full disclosure, the author, David Williams, is one of the owners of Back of Beyond Books. But he, first and foremost, is a wonderful writer, and he has just published Too High and Too Steep, Reshaping Seattle's Topography. Why would I be interested in Seattle's topography? Again, it's a compelling read. And it's more than just looking at the Seattle and its history. It's the story of urban development anywhere in the world where we, being humans, decide to shape a landscape to meet our needs. And in Seattle's case, <laughs> you couldn't get more dramatic in that at early 19th century, Seattle was a very, very hilly topography. And so what the leaders decided to do is get rid of the hills. And they call these regrades, and they literally would just, over the years, pare down, chop down, remove the topography to make it suitable for uh, building. Hmm. And he also talks about the Duwamish Tide Flats, where all the uh, ball fields are today, and the filling of those. And he does it via walking, riding bikes, visiting these areas. And so you can take this book on your next visit to Seattle, and you can literally see, based on David's work, uh, the changes that have taken place. He includes a lot of maps, a a lot of photography, and it's just a fascinating urban history. Mm -hmm. Uh, David Williams' Too High and Too Steep, University of Washington Press. Well, that sounds interesting. Could could be a metaphor too, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> flattening the, <laughs> the the landscape. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but I have a brother named David, so that start David Williams. Yeah. Oh, you guys are, are <laughs> kin, perhaps. <laughs> and there's another and, Tom Williams, by the way. He he writes children's books. I've sa- mm. I've found my name in the library before. <laughs> anyway, go, go ahead. Another Seattle connection is the late Ivan Doig's last novel, Last Bust to Wisdom. I'm a huge Ivan Doig fan. I was honored to get to know Ivan. Uh, over the last uh, 15 years. And of all authors from this country, uh, I think he's one of the most uh, compelling and best writers that perhaps has never gotten the fame that he deserves. Uh, This last novel, Ivan passed away tragically in in April after a long illness, uh, is a road story. It takes a young 11-year-old protagonist, Donald, whose grandmother is no longer able to care for him, and she ships him off to the Midwest to stay with his her sister. And that situation doesn't work too well. And so Donald decides to try to get his way back to the Northwest, and his uncle, Herman the German, decides to go along with him. And that sets the stage for an absolutely rollicking, fun, and heartfelt read. He, Doeg, uses uh, the language more beautifully than I think most writers do. It's not a fast-paced novel. There's no sex or violence in it. It's just extremely beautifully well-written. Last Bus to Wisdom by Ivan Doeg. And I know that King's English had a, a big release party for this Novel yes, just recently. Yeah, they did. Uh, Doig is a was, I guess, a national treasure. Yeah, you know. absolutely. I, I got to interview him once. That's a that's a, a treasured memory. And finally, I have a regional title. I can't do this show without throwing in at least one. And this is 
uh, edited by Tom Martin, written by Doc Marston. And anyone who's ever floated a river in the West knows who Doc Marston is. He's kind of the grandfather of, of Western river running. And about 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 1947, Doc decided to sit down and write a simple history of river running on the Colorado River. Little did he know that that project would consume him for the next 30 years. This book is thick. It has very small font, (laughs) but it is absolutely a gem of research. Uh, Doc passed away in 1979, and his estate held the manuscript up for the next 20 years or so. And so finally, a few years ago, river historian and river runner Tom Martin was able to get a hold of the manuscript, uh, do some editing, flesh it out, add to it, and finally, uh, this amazing book is out. It's a a recounting of the first 100 river runners through the Grand Canyon titled From Powell to Power, published by a very small little press uh, down in Flagstaff named Vishnu Temple Press. Well, those are, those are all great. those are all great, uh, Andy Nettle. Thank you so much, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. It is my pleasure, and thank you very much, Tom. Thank Thanks. you. That's a great list. And if if your you know hand was cramping up from writing that, or your you know fingers from <laughs> typing, or your thumbs from uh, yes, getting into your, it, yes. your device, we're going to have this uh, up on our website. So so don't worry about that. We'll take a break next. We'll come back and continue compiling our UPR book list. Help each other out as readers. Uh, You may not have heard of some of the titles that you've heard about here in the first half of the program. And uh, now you do know about them, and you can can put them on your list. Uh, We're going to be talking coming up with Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop and with Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks, both of those shops in Salt Lake City. We have with us Elaine Thatcher in studio, and we hope to have you on the line, 1-800-826-1495. We want to know what you're reading, 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. More following the break. 240 years after American volunteers repelled the British, they head to Boston's Harbor Islands to fight plant invaders. We end up with sort of the same mix of invasive species here in the Boston Harbor Islands that you might find in a park outside of Philadelphia or even further to the west and south of here. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Join us Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Science Unwrapped in USU's College of Science. This Friday at 7 in the Emmert Auditorium, Leave it to Beaver's Lessons in River Restoration from a Nature's Engineers. Uh, with USU Professor Joe Wheaton. Information at usu.edu slash unwrapped. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Periodically we get together as a community and put together a UPR book list. Uh, I think uh, most of us are avid readers and uh, always looking for something new and interesting to read. And uh, so we're getting together as a community to help each other out. We want to know what you're reading. 1-800-826-1495 is the toll-free number, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We have about 20 minutes left in the program. 
Uh, we have with us Elaine Thatcher in studio. We'll be talking, coming up with Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop and Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks. We just talked with Andy Nettle of Back and Beyond Books in uh, Moab. Uh, what are the next couple on your list, Well, you know, Elaine? I discovered a one that I just loved, um, and I apparently dived into a series at number three uh, without knowing that it was a series. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, the book I read was uh, True to Form by Elizabeth Berg, and it's the story of a young girl who's, uh, I guess she's 14 in this book, and I, apparently there are people who just love this this character and so forth, and I... I hesitate to call it a coming-of-age book because people always assume it's about sexual coming-of-age, but it's this book is about um, moral coming-of-age, of understanding the nuances of life and the things that can happen to people, the, the difficulties and the challenges as well as the joys. And um, this young girl sort of takes all of these things in and synthesizes them, and it's just a lovely, lovely book. So I really recommend that, True to Form by uh, Elizabeth Berg. The leading character is Katie Nash. Sounds, sounds good. Yeah. What's next on your list? Um, one that I found, um, I have always enjoyed Tony Hillerman, as I think most of us do. Um, I found, I don't know if it's his first novel, but it's one of his earliest, and it's before Jim Chi or uh, Dolee Porn. It's, uh, it's called The Fly on the Wall, and it's... Uh, it's a, about a um, journalist in the Midwest who uh, has to solve a mystery. And um, I enjoyed that very much. And it's set in the 70s, so it's in the days of teletype and, you know, the things that uh, are well in the past for journalists now. But um, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Mm. I love that kind of a history. Yeah. Tell, tell me the title and author It's again. called The Fly on the Wall, Tony Hillerman. Okay, great. Uh, we go next to uh, Ann Holman from the King's English uh, Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Uh, Ann, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tom. Thanks. So uh, I'm sure you got some uh, things you're excited about. What's first on your list? <laughs> Lots of things I'm excited about. I want to talk about one that's uh, nonfiction but also funny, and that's The Oregon Trail by Rinker Buck, which is just such a funny author name. <laughs> he, and <his> yes. brother, <laughs> he and his brother actually... Did the Oregon Trail from start to finish in a covered wagon with mules. Oh wow! And and a uh, and a Jack Russell Terrier <laughs> named Olive Oil. <laughs> well, you have to have that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you do have to have that. It's so fascinating, though. I mean, just he he had been kind of a um, an interesting kid, and his parents had done these kinds of things with them, and so he got the wagon and he got the mules, and they started and. Uh, they stayed together for 2,000 miles and weathered everything probably that all of the people originally did. Broken axles and terrible weather and probably not super highways, but they managed that too. Along the way, though, he just is so funny about, you know, what's going on and what he's thinking. And so you kind of laugh along the way, but then it's pretty serious history. That sounds so very the interesting. Oregon, the Oregon Trail by Rinker Buck. Okay. What's, what's next? <laughs> The one I'm really excited about, and I just finished reading it, is called Did You Ever Have a Family? It's by Bill Clegg, and it's a debut novel. And it's, you know, it's, the premise is very sad. Um, everybody's gathered at this house because um, the daughter's about to be married the next day. So in the house are the daughter, her fiancé, her mother, her mother's boyfriend, and her mother's ex-husband, so the daughter's father. It's kind of complicated. 
a fight happens the night before after the rehearsal dinner, and the, for whatever reason, that you have to read the book to find out, the mom is not in the house at the time. The house blows up and everybody dies. Mm. And this has already, already happened as the book opens, but then it becomes a story of grief. What happens to all of these people who, who survived and the people who were around when it happened, and where do the people go? Like the mother, where, where does she go? And the mother of her boyfriend, where does he go? And so it jumps back and forth between lots of different people's perspectives. Beautifully, beautifully written. And, it, and it, it's a terrible thing that happens, of course. It's, it's more than that, though. It's just, you know, people suffer terrible things, and how do we react to it and, and not react to it and let things happen to us because we can't f- function anymore? <laughs> it's beautiful. And, and that's Did You Ever Have a Family? And it's by debut author Bill Clegg. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Uh, what's next? Well, I, I don't know if you know a lot about Ivan Doig. I hope you do. Yes. We were he, just discussing him. Yes. Well, Andy Nettle was oh. on from Back and Beyond, and he was talking about Ivan Doig. Yes. Oh, good. Well, did he already talk about Last Bus to Wisdom? He did. He did. He did. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, then I second everything he said. I, I think <laughs> you, you had an event there at the King's English, right? We did. We had yeah. kind of a in-loving memory event, and it was really fun. We mm-hmm. uh, bought a bench and put a plaque on it, and... People got up and read. It was, it was really, really fun. Mm. Yeah, he's he's beloved author, deservedly so. Yeah. Yeah, we'll miss him. We will. Okay, well then I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a different novel, and this is by Jonathan Evison. He is uh, he wrote Ways to the West, and um, another book that I loved called Revised Fundamentals of Caregiving, which I think is coming out as a movie this year. Um, this new book is called This Is Your Life, Harriet Chance. And she is an older woman, retired, and she's planned, been planning on taking this cruise with her best friend for years and years and years. And finally, at the last minute, her, her best friend says, I can't go with you. She decides to go anyway, and it becomes a look back at her whole life when she finds a letter in her suitcase from her best friend telling her that she, in fact, had been having an affair with her husband mm. <laughs> for years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's terrible. It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible thing to find out. She's 80 years old. But then it begins, a, you know, a walk back in her mind about how all this happened. And while she's thinking about that, you're getting other people's perspectives. And what I came away at the end of the book feeling was, you know what? You think you live your life a certain way, and you think certain things happen because of this, when really things happen because of a completely different reason, mm-hmm. and you didn't know about it. And that happens to all of us every day. You know, if she hadn't received that letter, her whole life would have been different. Wow. Yeah, the, those turning points. Yeah. So, it tells so that is, this, this is your life, Harriet Chance, and that's Jonathan Evison. Okay. What else? I wonder if Andy talked about the last Ted Harris novel, Our Souls at Night. No, he didn't. No. I want to just mention that because, again, Ken Harris died this year. He wrote this short novel right before he died, and it was dedicated to his wife, who he loved. They had a, a wonderful marriage. This is a story of a, a, a widow who knocks on a widower's door one night, kind of a little ways across town, and says, you know, I know you don't know me very well, and I don't know you, but I have a proposition. I'm lonely, and I wonder if you would come over and spend the night with me at night, just so that I have some companionship. We can talk, we can sleep and then you can go home in the morning. I'm not asking for anything more than that. 
And he's standing in the front door, and he thinks it's over for a minute, and he says, okay, I will. And so he walks over every night with a little paper bag with his toothbrush in it, and they spend the night. And, of course, they become the town gossip, and everybody has different reactions. But one of the things that happens is her son is in the middle of a terrible divorce, and so he's brought his little boy to stay with her. And the little boy develops just a lovely relationship with the man, and it becomes just this sweet, sweet love story. Um, and it's very short. You can read it in an evening, and you just get the sense that he, Kent, really loved his wife, and this was his way of saying goodbye to her. Oh, that sounds, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. And, and in the hands of Kent Harriff, I'm sure it's... I'm sure it's extraordinary. I know. Just yeah. beautiful. Well, wonderful. Um, I think I heard one more, one more I wanted to mention is I heard you talking about um, the Tony Hillerman and Craig Johnson has a new one. Oh, yeah. Dry Bones. What's okay. it called? What's it called again? I just, Dry Bones. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and it's funny because it's about a dinosaur <laughs> and uh, her name is Jen. She's found on the Indian reservation, of course, and so everybody's in a fight over who she belongs to. But it's classic Craig Johnson. It's very funny. And he, he missed us last time he was touring, but he is coming. Uh, I want to get the date right so I can tell you, because I know he's got lots of fans. And he'll be at the um, Viridian in, on Thursday, October 29th at 7 p.m. Okay. I was just up, and, yeah, I was just up in uh, Wyoming. He lives in Ucross, Wyoming, and... Uh, I was in Douglas and, or rather, um, Buffalo and that area, which is all yeah. his, his country. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, he's just like, everybody knows him. He's one of the community. Yeah, they do. And they have Longmire <laughs> days really there. Fun. They do. They go crazy. Yeah. They go crazy. Well, if you've never seen him in person, he's very funny and charming. And uh, he's come to see us almost every book, but he missed us for the last one, so. I want, I want to make sure his fans know he's coming back. And this one's called Dry Bones. This is called Dry Bones. Okay. Well, great. That's a great list. We'll have that up on our website, upr.org. Uh, Ann Holman, yeah. uh, King's English Bookshop, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, thanks you guys. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. Good, good to talk to you as always. Uh, coming up in our last segment, we're going to be talking with Catherine Weller, Weller Bookworks. We have with us Elaine Thatcher in studio, and we hope to hear from you. We have uh, another uh, – let me, let me get to this right now. Make sure I get this in. Uh, this is from uh, Mario, uh, Mario Bonafede. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. From uh, He emailed us. He says, I recommend The Billionaire Dollar Spy by David E. Hoffman. It's a true story of Cold War espionage and betrayal. If you enjoyed The Falcon and the Snowman, you will also enjoy this one. So that is The Billion Dollar Spy by David E. Hoffman. Apparently it's a true story of Cold War espionage and betrayal. And that's a suggestion from Mario Bonafede, who emailed us. You can email us as well at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Or you can call us toll-free, 1-800-826-1495. We're also on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. We're compiling Utah Public Radio book list. This will be up on our website, upr.org. And we want to know what you're reading. Uh, this from our uh, our friend, Friend Weller, our engineer here at UPR. <laughs> he popped his head in and said he's reading A Walk in the Woods, Rediscovering America on the Appalachian Trail by Bill Bryson, which is a classic. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Robert Redford and Nick Nolte reenacting it on the screen. Yeah, that'll be interesting. So that's a a classic, and a friend recommends A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. Thank you for that. 
And before we go to break, I want to get this one in. Uh, this was just fascinating to me. It's up online. Uh, so I've subscribed uh, to uh, Bloomberg Business Week. Mm-hmm. Um, and one recent episode, the entire not episode. They call them uh, issues oh, uh-huh. <laughs> of the of the magazine. One entire issue recently was a small book. It's called "What Is Code" by Paul Ford. Uh, Paul Ford is a uh, coder, programmer, uh, and uh, and maybe more interestingly, has uh, managed uh, coders, programmers who have their own subculture, mm-hmm. and they're they're you know it's a it's a whole interesting subculture. I just wanted to read you the forward message at the beginning of this in in the magazine, and you can find this online. We'll have the link up. This is by Josh Tirangel. He says, software has been around since the 1940s, which means that people have been faking their way through meetings about software and the code that builds it for generations. Now that software lives in our pockets, runs in our cars and homes, and dominates our waking lives, ignorance is no longer acceptable. The world belongs to people who code. Those who don't understand will be left behind. This issue comprises a single story devoted to a demystifying code and the culture of the people who make it. There's some technical language along with a few pretty basic mathematical concepts. There's also lots of solid jokes and lasting insights. It may take a few hours to read, but that's a small price to pay for adding decades to your career. So <laughs> the forward to it. So that's the uh, and, and it's interesting to get behind the code, the coding culture. Uh-huh. Um, coders have their favorite languages, and the, the, almost fistfights break out if you if you like a different <laughs> language, a coding language. It's just fascinating, and, and as Josh says there. You know, the result is in our pocket right now <laughs> um, and on your Kindle, for example. Yes. So that is What is Code by Paul Ford. I wanted to recommend that. Let's go to break. When we come back, we'll have more in compiling our UPR book list. Renowned author and blogger Lenore Skenazy, otherwise known as the world's worst mom, instigated an online debate after publishing an article explaining why she let her nine-year-old son ride the New York City subway alone. A battle between parenting styles in Sudan has not yet slowed down, and we want to hear from you. What's your narrative? What's your opinion? Share your knowledge and become a source for the Utah Public Insight Network, a collaborative effort between UPR and the Salt Lake Tribune. Information you share could help our reporters create a more in-depth story and could direct conversation and on-air coverage regarding this debate. Join UPIN today and help us discover our most valuable source, you. For more information, visit upr.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Cache Valley ENT and the Allergy Clinic. Practicing ear, nose, and throat medicine, allergy services, and facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. And offering hearing aid services with audiologist Dr. Spencer Tejan, 753-7880. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment. We're putting together our latest Utah Public Radio book list. We know that uh, our listeners are avid readers, curious about everything about the world, and that's reflected in the book list that we've put together so far. It's, it's ranged widely. We've had, Elaine, I think you remember this, uh, we even have textbooks 
been recommended yes, to we us, have, yeah. which, which is which is great. It's <laughs> fascinating. Whatever you're reading, we want to know about it. And you can join us here for the next 10 minutes at 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to hear from you toll-free, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Or we're compiling this. This will be up on our website, upr.org. Uh, caller John in Moab joins us next. John, glad you called. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Finally cooled off, thank God. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it has cooled off, yes. Um, I have been reading for oh, over a year now a lot of histories and, and um, say, um, what would you say, um, nonfiction, just nonfictions. And so I've got one that's not a history, it's a good nonfiction. It's called Voices in the Ocean. Our local library has it down here. Susan Casey is the author, and it's about the um, behavior of the dolphins, mostly dolphins, although it, uh, they cover other seta, which are, I guess, you know, large-brained mammals living in the oceans. And it's a fascinating book. Um, they're nothing like fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're fast. And, yeah, that, that does sound so. And in fact, I think we've we've maybe made a, a big mistake treating them like fish. Um, mm-hmm. And the author says, hey, look, they, they have many aspects that are, say, what we would call intelligence. So, you know, we're probably treating our fellow mammals very badly. So that, that book, I, I really recommend, Voices in the Ocean. Uh, by Su- uh, Susan Casey was the author. By Susan Casey. Great. Um, and it, it's a very easy read. It's, it's a large series of short discussions of encounters, what this person did or saw or what that dolphin did after something happened and so on. Um, and so it's animal behaviorism is what it is, and discussed by the observers. Mm. And then the other book I'm reading... Um, and this is more of a history. This is Double Cross, the true story of the D-Day spies. And it's by oh. Ben McIntyre. I'll spell McIntyre. It's M-A-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E. And what was the first name? Ben. Ben, okay. And uh. Double Cross is the story of how we fooled the Nazis in World War II into thinking we were going to invade <clears throat> France at Calais or Calais, Calais, Calais mm-hmm. instead of uh, where we did, Normandy. And so it makes a fascinating read. It's a true story. They discuss the actual, say, lies of the spies and how they were run, and double-cross means, uh, you know, spies that are working both sides. Right. You know, they send a spy over here, and then we turn them to work against them. <clears throat> and it's a fascinating story. It, um, that that double-cross saved countless lives. Because the the uh, Nazis were diverted, you know, they had diverted their force away from where we actually invaded. Yeah, yeah, that that shows the uh, the value of of uh, the espionage. Uh, so tell well, us an uh, interesting true story, and that's yeah. what I like about it. Uh, um, I, I'm not much of a reader of fiction, and um, but I've had recommended to me by our, our librarian down here in Moab, uh, Umberto Eco's book Focals. Foucault's Pendulum. Yes. I read, I've read. i only read one of Echo, Echo's books. I, I've but, only read Name of the Rose, which yeah. I thought was a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm going to be reading this. It's sitting right in front of me. Okay, you're, you're ready to read it. Okay. It's, it's coming up, it's coming up on, on my 
pile of to-read to books. Very but after day. hearing Andy talk about this Seattle history mm. book, I'm probably going to go down to Back Beyond and see if they have a copy down there. Great. And, well, thanks. And um, so tell me this. Um, can you tell me what that title was again for that book that Andy recommended? It was a... What about uh, Seattle? Too, do you know? Too, uh, too tall and too steep, or something like that. Something like it, that. Yeah, yeah, it was about the hills. Yeah. yeah. And, and John, we'll, we'll have this up on our website as well. We'll have the full list. Oh, that's so you right. That or, yeah. Well, I got it down now. Um, okay. Well, thank you. And, Thanks, uh, John. I, I'm going to be reading nonfictions for a while. Okay. Oh, great. Thanks, John. Appreciate that. Except for, of course, the Echo book. <laughs> right, right. Thanks. Right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. That's John in Moab. And we go next to uh, Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, Catherine, welcome back to the program. Hi there. Nice to talk with you again. Nice to talk to you. We, uh, I think we have about five minutes, uh, so we'll, we'll hopefully get through all of, all of your list. We want to know what you're uh, excited about. What's, what's first? Oh, I'm excited about so much, of course. But I'm <laughs> going to just segue right into something your previous caller mentioned. He's really getting into Echo. Um, who's a great fiction writer, but a wonderful nonfiction and critical history writer. And since you're a university uh, station and you have lots of university listeners, Echo just came out with a book called How to Write a Thesis, <laughs> which is actually a very nice and surprisingly slim volume on academic writing and upper-level mm -hmm. academic writing. Interesting. How to write a thesis. To check out. <laughs> How not to use jargon, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So right into my stuff. I've got mostly fiction this time. First one is called Let Me Explain You by Annie Leontis. Um, she is a Greek immigrant, and this book, believe it or not, is about Greek immigrants. And it's got one of the most hysterically funny opening chapters I've read in a long time. A, uh, a Greek patriarch decides he's going to die in 10 days and writes a letter, very bombastic and directive, to all of the women in his life, telling them what they need to do to succeed in the world after he's gone. <laughs> um, it, it's just, a, it, I laughed out loud so many times, but then the rest of the book is deep and sensitive and well-drawn as it delves into the characters of his three daughters and the woman who is the cook in his diner and his ex-wives and indeed Stavros Stavros Mavrikas, the, the patriarch. So you get to really get a feel of how, who these people are and how they ended up the, the way they are. It's tender, it's funny, it's a beautiful novel about the effects of family and the immigrant experience in America. It's just a great first novel. It's called Let Me Explain You by Annie Leontis. It does sound I've heard of that. I've yeah. heard about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other novel I have that has an arresting first chapter is called Did You Ever Have a Family by Bill Clegg. Um, this first chapter starts describing a, a, a person's waking moments in the morning. He's getting up. He's He's disoriented. He's a young man, kind of moving around the house. And then his house is demolished. Uh, there's a gas explosion. The whole thing goes up in an explosion and flames. And everybody dies except for one person. And the next chapter is narrated by that woman, June, the mother of the family. She is numb and alone. And somebody asks her in a coffee shop, how do you recover from that? How do you even begin? And she can't answer that because she doesn't know either. So she begins her journey she, by literally hitting the road. 
And the narrative becomes a tapestry of the stories of the people she meets along the way and the stories of the people in their houses. Um, what Bill Clegg, the author, does is he, he elevates the, the mundane levels of everyday life, or the mundane details of everyday life, to a level of um, beauty and grace, almost, despite the fact that tragedy is woven through this. Everybody has their own terrible things in their own ways. Um, but uh, tragedy is a great trope in literature and how we survive and how we move on. And that's what this ex- book explores really well. Um, it's called Did You Have a Family by Bill Clegg. Mm, great. We have about a minute left, uh, Catherine, so one, one last brief one. One last brief one, Girl Waits with a Gun by Amy Stewart. It's mm. a novel based in the 20s um, about a real character, Constant Cop, who is the first female deputy sheriff in the United States, and it is a romp. It's exactly the opposite of everything I just described. (laughs) It's hilarious and fun and funny, a little bit of detective stuff. It is probably going to be a series. Hmm. That sounds great. And and we'll have your full list up on our website, upr.org. You'll get that to us, I assume. So. Yes, I will. Uh, Catherine Weller, Weller Bookworks. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. And we'll have Elaine's full list up as as well. Um, maybe just uh, 20 seconds. What uh, You just list off some titles here. I read The Case for Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's a tiny little volume of some radio lectures he gave during World War II when there was a need for hope. Great. And uh, we'll have my full list up as well. I've I'm, I'm, uh, been reading. It's a long book. It's The Proud Tower, Portrait of the War be- be- World Before the War, Barbara Tuckman. Mm. Uh, is a wonderful historian, uh, just uh, paints a picture. And I've been reading some LDS titles, a biography of John, Joseph F. Smith, uh, a new biography of uh, Henry B. Eyring, and a very interesting story, A Lion and a Lamb, a young couple who uh, were called to Palmyra, New York, in the ni- early 1900s uh, to serve a mission there. It's going to be a few years, ended up being 24 years. They raised their family out there. It's a very <laughs> interesting story. We'll have the full list up. All the books that you recommended, and you can keep those coming to our uh, email, upraccess at gmail.com. We're going to talk about Selma, Alabama, the civil rights um, effort. Uh, new documentaries out. We'll be talking about that tomorrow on the program. Hope you'll be with us then. Elaine, thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Commentator Gina Wickward. Somehow, after Labor Day, life seems to take on a new feel. Maybe it's because autumn is softly paddling its way into our lives with chill morning air that smells of leaves and wood smoke. Maybe it's the darker mornings when the alarm goes off. Maybe it's the backpack-laden children awaiting the yellow school bus. Actually, maybe it's all of these. They make us sit up and take notice of the problems that were on hold during summer and are now facing us, demanding action. Congress is back in session after its annual late summer recess. The 2016 presidential campaign is starting to gel. On one side is a bombastic, blustering businessman who enjoys making deals and is leading in Iowa. On the other side is a grandmotherly all-star who is polishing her image, wiping her server, and leading in Iowa. All around them, debates stretch until Groundhog Day. Polls are taken daily, and competing candidates appear hourly on TV. Not only that, 
economists again begin to pout over unemployment statistics. Wall Street continues to sigh over the Dow. Republicans are moaning about the Iran nuke deal. Democrats are snorting about the minimum wage. College personnel once again reappraise their tolerance for free speech. College students digest the nuances of microaggression. And free-range parenting is again under scrutiny from the helicoptering academy. On the world stage, ISIS looms ever stronger. Our planet spins with Middle East migrants miserably fleeing the depredations and death that are Syria, the ruin and murder that are Iraq. Russia renews its push into Ukraine. China erects military islands in the South China Sea. The moon-trotting U.S. pays the Russians 70 million a clip to drop off our guy at the space station. We are pulling our national hair out over the status of Pluto and are noisily grumping about whether this year's El Nino causes more hurricanes and typhoons than coal. The list goes on and on, and our heads hurt thinking about it. But as my mother would say, ay, 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 there's always something. But now that it's fall, it'll get better. You wait and see. And she knew it would because she'd lived through the First and Second World Wars, the Great Depression, the Korean War, the Cold War, Vietnam, and the First Iraq War. Apolitical, she embraced FDR, Ike, JFK, and Reagan. She loved Labor Day because her dad had been a union shop steward for the glassblowers. For her, Labor Day was symbolic of our unity, and every year she renewed her determination to get through things. My mother was definitely not airheaded about life's problems and its true dangers. She was merely practical and laced with optimism. And so are we. That's how we'll deal with the problems looming for us. After Labor Day, we, like my mother, will look ahead and make things better. This is Gina Wickwar. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU's Hub Food Court, the university's one-stop shop for a variety of meals to choose from in the Taggart Student Center. Open Monday through Thursday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., Fridays, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and closed Sundays. Details at usu.edu slash dining. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.